Alright, so picture this. You're managing a team that has deployed several thousand APIs for your company, serving approximately half a billion requests every single day, all while making sure that the APIs developed are discoverable, standardized, reusable, and secure. Sounds like quite a challenge, right? Well, our guest for today is someone who has done exactly this, and he has had success achieving it through well-executed API governance. In this episode of Cocktails, an industry expert sheds light on what API governance is, how we can implement it within organizations through models and strategies, and how proper governance can help foster digital transformation. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation. Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo and Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Good day, ladies and gentlemen of the internet. My name is Kevin Montalbo, and of course, joining us from Australia is SorCloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Hey, David, what's going on? Good morning, Kevin. Beautiful day here in Sydney. That's fantastic. And now, let me introduce our guest. Our guest for today is a platform thinker, digital transformer, API design architect, people manager, conference speaker, developer advocate, and writer. Since his first web projects at IBM in 99, he has built and maintained software governance teams at multiple Fortune 500 companies. His passion for building successful software developer cultures result in the continuous delivery of business value, even at scale. He is currently the director of API and event streaming platform services at Capital One, and he writes about the transformative nature of the API industry at tinyletter.com slash netapinotes slash archive. He also maintains a curated list of in-person API community gatherings at webapi.events. But since there aren't any of those in-person API community gatherings right now, he joins us for a round of cocktails. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matthew Reinbold. Hey, Matthew, great to have you on the podcast. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for that intro. All right. So let's dive right in. Can you share with us what you do at Capital One as director for the API and event streaming platform services? That's kind of a mouthful. It is. It is. And it takes a while to describe at parties. So you'd think I'd be well-versed into explaining this. But uh, when I joined Capital One five years ago, it was to help develop their newly formed API lifecycle management process, basically helping developers have success and grow their design practice. Over time, that turned into managing a team and becoming a platform and turning it into the thing that we have today, which is several thousand APIs registered, doing approximately a half a billion responses a day. It's almost entirely for our internal processes and, and um, our internal development. And it's all about making sure that the APIs that we develop are consistent, they're, they're cohesive, that they add business value and don't add to the overall complexity of modern software development at a large enterprise. Um, because of that success, we moved into different areas. Uh, you mentioned event streaming. We've had some work to do there, but my passion at the moment, what I'm really interested in looking at is how we can take the success that we had in the API governance side 
and spread it around. Help make digital transformation be turnkey for the rest of the organization, whether that's around data, whether that's around events, whether it's around a host of a number of, of other things. How do we take that success and make sure that, that we're having success in other areas? And that's, that's a hard thing to do, regardless of your the source that you're looking at. You might have 70 to 90% of enterprise digital transformation efforts fail. So there's a lot, to, lot of work to be done there. That's really interesting. I'd, I'd love to dive more into that and your, your passion, where you think that's going to take you. Before we get there, can you just give us an overview of API governance? What is it? Why is it important? Yeah, absolutely. So... I come at API governance a little differently. Uh, many people immediately jump to rules and policemen, you know, police enforcement on a, on a platform. I step back and I ask, what are we actually trying to do with a governance program? And to me, it's about how we relate to each other. So imagine a road system, a street system. The fastest way to go from point A to point B is to drive as fast as possible, ignore all traffic lights, ignore traffic signs, and you know, take the corners wide, do all these crazy things if you are the only one on the road. But the fact of the matter is in large enterprises, in medium-sized companies at this point, we're not the only team that's trying to get from point A to point B. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of people that need to go from where they are to where they need to be. And we need to make sure that the means by which they are, are getting there is done so safely and can accommodate the most people possible. So for me, governance is how do we design the systems? How do we design the, the networks so that we get the most people traveling to the most number of places in the safest way possible? Yes, that might mean rules, but rules are a tactic. It might mean education. It might mean a variety of other different things, but it's I'm trying to, in my work, expand the definition of governance and get people to see beyond very top-down command and control type of um, delivery systems that we oftentimes see in enterprise environments. I understand. Got it. So, that, I mean, that's a nice metaphor there with a uh, single car on the road there. But so basically we're talking about the discoverability, standardization, making sure the APIs are reusable, secure according to standards, and, um, and there's some sort of oversight as to how this is all done. But getting into more specifics, what are the sort of factors that uh, you need to consider to enable discoverability and standardization security? What are the sort of things you, you're defining in your governance? Right. Those are absolutely um meaningful outcomes to a governance program. But for those starting out, it really is about how do you get to the point where you decide that discoverability is important? Who's in the room? What's the mechanism by which you are deciding that you're going to pursue those shared goals? So at some point, somebody decided, hey, discoverability would be a good thing. In some cases, registration might be a really good thing. Every time we turn over another rock, we find another microservice that poses a risk for our ingress and egress. We don't know what one hand is doing. What one, we don't know if um, we're, we're actually violating some regulatory compliance mechanism. So in these particular cases, governance starts at deciding whose responsibility it is to move the company forward. Who decides what the rules are? How do we communicate those things out? How do we create virtuous feedback cycles so that the people that are uh, adhering to these these statements can 
feed back into the system and we can co-evolve these things over time and, and make sure that we are staying true to um, what we need to be delivering and that we don't uh, end up publishing, for example, a style guide that is out of date the minute that we happen to publish it and then subsequently isn't used. How do we, how do we avoid systems that try and lock enterprise environments in stone and that we can't evolve because we had an idea of what we should be doing at this moment in time, but we aren't able to react to new frameworks, new trends, new languages that come around the bend tomorrow. So, I mean, that, that's an interesting concept because you're talking about defining guidelines and standards. So how do you avoid limiting innovation within an organization when you're applying API governance? It goes back to that process that I'm talking about. Right? Rather than focusing um, on having the perfect style guide, API style guide, for example, the emphasis needs to be how do we create a repeatable, safe process so that we can continue to evolve. Because we're going to acknowledge straight up, we're not going to achieve perfection. Like perfection is the opposite of being done. And so if our goal is to have the perfect set of rules for all time, we're, we are going to fail. It's not possible. So the emphasis needs to instead be on continual improvement. Like that's, that's how we operate our sprint cycles and our agile teams. That should also be how we think about governance. We take this first step. We look and see what the ramifications of that step were. We look and see at, at whether it's achieving the goals. And then we take another step and another step and another step. And so this kind of iterative incremental type of governance is, is really what I try and espouse. So when it comes to the rules, yes, eventually you will get to the point where you have something in your organization that says, okay, maybe this is our standard error object. For the sake of our cooperation and our communication, we are going to adopt a standard error object so that we can leverage our experience with one API across our entire portfolio. That's really good. But before you get to that stage, you need to have that underpinning. How do we get there? Who's the, who are the people in the room are, are we doing a straight up majority rules type of system where if people think this is a good idea, it passes? Are there other mechanisms by which we can figure this stuff out? How do we communicate it out? How do we grandfather in uh, existing systems that may not conform to this? All of those are the type of questions that need to be answered by governance. And then once you get those rules in place, then you get to management and enforcement. As you say, once you've got those, you've collaborated with stakeholders, established you know, uh, some sort of process is going to work for everybody and foster innovation and not to be too restrictive. You then want to start applying the, the, uh, the models, the processes. Uh, are there any sort of uh, tool sets, processes, models that people can adopt uh, to apply these strategies? Yeah. So, so much of, of what I do and what my team does is around communication. And even when it comes to API design and API governance, it's how do we communicate with each other? We found over time that jobs to be done is a wonderfully clarifying model to help teams get very crisp and precise on what they need to build and what they need to capture in that API definition that we subsequently use as a means to communicate across teams. We also use event storming quite a bit. Uh, Domain-driven design is wonderful, but it is a bit heavy for a lot of teams. Um, and so- um, the, What do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? 
So on the surface, domain-driven design is, is really straightforward to understand. It's using the language spoken as a means of identifying boundaries between different abstractions. But uh, to follow that process through to the letter, you start getting bogged down in a lot of specialized terminology and a lot of specialized facilitation that requires experience and knowledge. It's not something that any team can just pick up in an afternoon and have success with. And this is something where we've used techniques like event storming to get more of that rapid, agile approach to defining some big principles, aligning teams and getting agreement on what they need to be building, and then subsequently capturing the most salient points in an API description that can be useful and long lasting to the rest of the organization. Run us through event storming. How, do, how does that work? What is it? Um, so it's a technique. Um, that that came about for exactly the reasons that I described with domain-driven design. It needed to be lightweight. It it uses the idea of, of physical post-it notes, which we've had to experiment a little bit in this, this COVID time to, to virtualize. But the idea of identifying from the beginning of, of a process to the end, what are all of the incremental little things that need to happen along the way? And by visualizing it, by putting it on these little stickies, what you're forcing the stakeholders in a room to do is to come to agreement. And regardless of, of the size of the effort, I guarantee what happens when you get these stakeholders in a room is you end up uncovering assumptions. You end up uncovering aspects of language that were taken for granted. So somebody will put a, a sticky note up and they say, okay, in this step, we call this system and, and we get back this magic token. And somebody else will go, that's not how I thought that worked. And then you have a discussion. So it's a forcing mechanism to get those stakeholders to recognize not only all the pieces, but come to a common language. And once you have that common language, now you can start slicing and dicing and saying, okay, this needs to be a microservice. This needs to be an API. This can safely be abstracted away and we never have to think about it again, so on and so forth. But it's, it's a, it's a, forcing mechanism to get people to surface those unknown assumptions and, and make them explicit so that we can actually model things correctly. The worst thing that can happen during the course of API design is, is unsurfaced assumptions because that's when you get the API design that goes out the door and that client uses it the first time and says, that doesn't do what I need it to do. And now you have a versioning problem. Yeah, got it. Um, before we move on to your thoughts on how you can apply this to digital transformation in the future, uh, with API governance, we mostly think of it within an organization. But now we're starting to look at regulatory governance for, such as open banking standards. Do you sort of see any uh, more regulatory compliance according to APIs and their standards? I do. I think we're probably long overdue for a number of privacy and security and, and um, regulatory approaches to the way data is handled in, in big companies. Here in the United States, we have something called the CCPA or the California Consumer Privacy Act that uh, because California is so large and such a significant percentage of our economic activity, the rest of the nation typically ends up having to do um, what they pass. Uh, worldwide, there's things like GDPR 
that that um, mm-hmm. impose certain behaviors around data and facilitate certain actions around data. And I do think that it is going to be increasingly vital that API designers are uh, incorporating aspects of this in their designs. Now, we're not going to be able to have every API designer knowledgeable on every rule and every regulation worldwide. That's just simply not going to happen. But that is something where API governance can play a role. You can have a group who's already well-versed in marrying the enterprise expectations and the enterprise needs with the team's understanding of their use case and the team's understanding of their particular output. And together, through collaboration, you end up with something that is both enterprise-safe and desired and fulfills the use case that the team set out to build. So you end up with something that's greater than the sum of its parts when those two groups can work together. But it's going to be vital that the API governance aspect is is able to be aware of these things, work with the proper groups within their organizations and account for those in the subsequent designs that they're they're consulting on. Okay. Well, look, you've obviously had enormous experience over the last five years building several thousand APIs, many people would have thought that you've already nailed digital transformation. But you started out this conversation saying you now want to apply these learnings and principles to other uh, digital transformation-related projects in your organisation. So let's start out by sort of talking about what is digital transformation to you? So, uh, and, and how do you see it evolving? And how do you see these learnings that you've, you've obtained applying to that. So digital transformation has become one of those words, almost like microservice services, where it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To me, digital transformation is all about, can you use digital technologies to create new and novel experiences and services for customers? Like just doing what you already did before, it may be semantics, but I call that digitization. Digital transformation is creating something new at the end of the day. And so as, as we look at, at our internal organizations and the increasing pace in which new technology is, is causing marketplace disruption and marketplace challenges, it's absolutely incumbent on organizations to be able to react to these things, if not lead. And in order to do that, it's, it's, vital that they understand the various components of digital transformation, whether that's um, having the correct operational platform underneath, whether it's being able to incorporate feedback in a rapid manner. It's allowing industries of all stripe and shape to behave with the cycle time of a software company. And that's what, that's where we're at. Like, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you could safely have an industrial company that that does the same thing day in and day out. But today, all companies are software companies, and therefore all companies have to have the type of speed inherent with a a software-driven life cycle. And that presents a lot of challenges. How How do you get the information from bucket A to bucket B safely, but at speed? And that, that's a challenge. So as enterprise leaders are looking across their organizations and identifying the opportunities for um, rapid change and rapid uh, modification of processes and controls and approaches, it's incumbent that 
the governance that is is applied is not a gate, but it's a it's a aspect of how they empower people to do things better. Um, as I've gone down this route, I've, I've become increasingly aware of how much digital transformation is really about behavior change within an organization. It's not enough to simply do what we did yesterday using new tools. It's about changing how we we behave when given certain problems or certain opportunities. And behavior change for people is really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, most people are resistant to change, right? So it's a culture issue. Yeah, and so your API governance needs to be as versed in how to do organizational transformation, how to do organizational behavior change as it is with the bits and bolts of API nuance. And that's a real challenge. So many of the people that are put into positions of governance within an organization come from a technology background or even sometimes product or sometimes risk. But the governance programs that I've seen successfully rolled out uh, typically are led by people that, that understand this human element. They're as well-versed in things like negotiation, conflict resolution, um, even, even um, communication as they are the particular technology that they might have done uh, five, 10 years ago. So it's going to be a challenge for, for a lot of folks. It's not a set of skills that I think um, are practiced, but increasingly as we need to, as we need to incorporate more digital transformation in order to be successful in our businesses, uh, individuals that can, can cross these disciplines and have these type of skill sets, I think are going to be increasingly in demand. Huge demand. I mean, how do you uh, change culture? Like what, what would you be your approach to uh, foster innovation within an organization to develop new digital products and transform the organization? As you said, you have to approach that before you get to the governance aspect, right? So where do you start on that? Uh, that's a big topic. Uh, the first, briefly, is understand the landscape. Before you can tell people where to go, you have to understand where you are. And so that's why it's so difficult for people like consultants to be plopped into a company and expect them to have success because they're coming in with their own uh, experiences, their own assumptions, and they may not understand the lay of the land. So having a deep understanding of how decisions get made, who has authority, both formal and informal, <laughs> how does power manifest, and what are the incentive structures that people respond to? Those are not universal things. They do vary company by company, and therefore, it's absolutely vital to understand that. Second thing, once you start trying to make momentum happen, always vital to shrink the change that you're trying to accomplish. I've seen way too many efforts uh, declare some grandiose burn the boats type of initiative. Like everybody for all time is going to do this thing and only this thing. And as you might imagine, the, the amount of, uh, uh, pushback to something like that is as absolutely proportional to the size of the change that that is being asked for. 
it might be necessary, but in order to get traction, you have to build positive momentum. And the easiest way to do that is to shrink the change being asked for. When I go into a, a company or I advise a company that's just getting started with API governance, they have a whole suite of things that they're trying to accomplish. And I say, well, what's the, the least controversial thing that you could mandate right now? Like, does everybody have a health route? And they kind of, they might look at each other and after some debate, you know, oh, you know, maybe we do need a health route, but that's so, so insignificant. And I said, exactly. Start with the uncontroversial stuff, ratify your process. However, whatever the means is for getting that thing accepted and communicated and monitored and policed whatever that tiny, tiny thing is, have it be uncontroversial because you're still figuring out how all of this works. Who are the people at the table? How is this going to play out? Once you get that decided, you will better be able to take on the bigger rocks, the harder things. If you start with those hard things while you're still trying to figure out what the relationships are and how to work with the people, it's not going to be pretty. So shrink the change. After shrinking the change, you want to script the critical moves. So you have a big initiative. It probably sounds great at the 50,000 foot view, but for the person working in the trenches, they don't understand how they get from where they are to, to where they need to be. You have to script the critical moves. People are probably not pushing back out of malice. They're probably pushing back because they don't know what the connecting steps are. So script the critical moves. And finally, communicate, 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 communicate. I've seen way too many well-meaning efforts that do really hard work to figure out a complex problem and nobody ever hears about it. And when I follow up with those engineers or architects and I say, what happened to that? They said, well, we posted a, a page to our wiki. And it's like, well, you you just expect people to stumble upon that. You just expect them to, to know that it's there. Like even when you think you've told it a thousand times and you're blue in the face and you are so sick of the message, I guarantee there's probably people that have not heard it yet and that are not on board and they just have to hear it from you. Probably several times as well. Exactly. Hear it several times. Before it in, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing time and time again when we're talking about digital transformation efforts, it comes down to people. It's, <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's just like As a technology company providing solutions, you love to talk about the technology, but actually what we end up talking about is culture and people. Absolutely. Yeah. Matthew, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, you amazing experience and it sounds like you have many more amazing experiences to come at capital one uh if you have uh some uh, social channels at which people can follow you uh, can care to share that yeah absolutely i think probably the nexus for everything is my website which is unimaginatively named matthewreimbold.com just look at the show notes if you need a spelling for that but it's matthewreimbold.com from there you'll find links to Twitter. I'm fairly uh, active on Twitter. You also find links to the newsletter that, that Kevin mentioned, so on and so forth. So, but if you go to my website, it's myname.com. Excellent. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap for this round of cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this podcast episode? 
let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. Again, thank you very much for listening to us today. On behalf of the entire team here at Toro Cloud, this has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!